This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The story of Daniel is one that when the Babylonian kingdom takes, um, conquers Israel, they take the young men into their service to train them in their ways and, and so forth. The, um, uh, in case you don't understand the history and the, the, the way things worked back then, when, uh, when one kingdom would subdue another kingdom, they would take the young people with them, take them away and take them back to the, the uh, palace and train them, treat them well, train them, treat them right and, and so forth, but train them to think like the king thinks, to think like this new uh, culture operates instead of their old culture with the intent, in many cases at least, not in every case, but in many cases with the, the, uh, the idea in mind that the conquering kingdom would send them back after they grow up and then these, these children that were of, uh, well, in this case, the, the Jewish children would then become governors back in their own home country and do what the Babylonians would want them to do. So that's the purpose for taking away these, these children and schooling them and all that kind of stuff. And there are three Hebrew children that the Bible identifies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, who decide, and Daniel seems to be the ringleader, the leader of the group. He decides uh, on their behalf, they all decide together, I guess, but he's the one that speaks up. And he says, we don't want to eat the things that are contrary to the law of Moses. So he goes to the, the uh, instructor of the school, the guy that's headmaster of the school, and he says, we don't want to uh, break the law of God by eating the things that, uh, that you've set before us. And the headmaster says, well, this is going to get me in trouble because everybody's going to see that you're not as healthy and then the king will take my head off. And so Daniel said, well, try this thing out. Give us pulse and water. I guess that's an oatmeal kind of thing. He said, give us that instead of the king's food and test us out. After a certain period of time, if we don't look as good as the others, then, uh, then we'll go back to doing whatever you tell us to do. But after that period of time, they looked fairer and fatter and healthier and everything else than the others. So from that point forward, they were recognized as having, a, a, um, well, something that everybody else didn't have. They were recognized as serving their God, as bringing them to a place of prominence. And so they began to grow and they began to increase in, in strength and wisdom and so forth. And so all four of these guys are used in a great way. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, it tells us about Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. He makes an image to himself. He creates this giant statue, this golden statue. And he sets certain times of the day that when the music plays, everybody's supposed to stop what they're doing, bow down before that statue or in the, the uh, direction of that statue and, and recognize... Uh, worship the statue as recognition of their submission to the king. Well, it tells us that uh, that there were, um, well, let's just start reading in verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, and they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet and the other music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. They said, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. See, they've made them rulers, magistrates of some type. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not their gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, now please understand this. Read this carefully. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage... 
Now, why is he mad? He's mad because they won't worship his image. Or at least that's what he's been told. He hadn't even confirmed the story yet, but he's mad because of what he's told. In his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these three men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, please notice in verse 15, this is the king saying, Here's what I'm going to do. Now, if you be ready at what time you hear the music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. In other words, I'm giving you a chance to get out of this. If when the next time the music plays, you fall down and worship the image, we'll act like this never happened. But, so there's a variable. But if you worship not, you shall be cast in the midst of the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, the whole thing is they won't worship him as God. And so he said, so what God's going to deliver you? Now, the variable is, is simply this, whether or not they f- worship the image and therefore whether or not they're thrown into the fiery furnace. For, uh, for has, um, Nebuchadnezzar. For Nebuchadnezzar, the issue is, will you worship or will you not worship? If they've already decided in their hearts, it's these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they've already decided we're not worshiping the image, then the only variable for them is, do you throw us in or do you not? Do you see where everybody's coming from? What happens next? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Do you know what that means? That means we've already decided this beforehand. We're not waiting until we get in the heat of the moment. We're not waiting until we got in front of you and you made your threats. We didn't wait for that to decide what we're going to do if somebody challenges us about worshiping our God. Now, folks, let me, let me recommend something to you. Settle that up front before the fear of the situation occurs. Settle that up front. That's exactly what they've done. They know when they see this statue being made and hear the declaration of the king that everybody's supposed to fall down in worship, which they're not going to do and never will are going to do. When they hear this, they know that this time is coming. They are very well aware that they're going to have to, they're going to be faced with the decision or the choice of what are we going to do if, it, if, if we're told or uh, told on or somebody tells the king about what we're going to do or what we're doing instead. So what do they do? They decide up front, if the king ever calls us before him, here's how we'll all answer. We're all in this together. So king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We don't have to think about this for a moment. If it be so, now remember from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's position, the only if is whether the king throws them into the furnace or not. The king's if has just been answered. The king's if is, are you going to worship my image or not? That's been answered. There is no question on part of the king anymore. The only question that's outstanding is, are you going to throw us into the furnace? That's the if that the three are talking about here, beginning in verse 17. If it be so, if you throw us in, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. That was part of Nebuchadnezzar's question back in verse 15. The last thing, last phrase, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, if you throw us in, it's our God that will. But if not, if not what? 
See, I grew up in Sunday school hearing this story. If God doesn't save us, we're still not going to worship your image. Does that make sense to anybody? If God doesn't save them from the burning fiery furnace, they're dead. Worshiping an image is really not the issue any longer, is it? See, I was taught this to where the three Hebrew children said, well, we believe God will save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not worshiping you. That just makes no sense at all. Makes a good Sunday school story, I guess. It did for years, but it makes no sense at all. So they say, if you throw us in, God will deliver us. There's no equivocation on their part. There's no if God does or if God doesn't. They say, if you throw us in, God will deliver us. But if you don't, if you don't throw us in, in other words, be it known unto the O king that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, if, if they are saying like the Sunday school taught us, if they're saying, well, we believe God will save us, but if he doesn't, then we're still not worshiping. If that's the case, Nebuchadnezzar has nothing to be upset about. He simply has to say, well, we'll see who does what then. Here's the door. Walk right in. If this is about what God does or doesn't do, then he has nothing to be upset about. Does he? If the if, if the variable is whether God delivers or God doesn't deliver, then what's Nebuchadnezzar got to be upset about? But that's not what it says. It says in verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Why? Because they've challenged the king. They're not challenging God. They're not saying God might or might not deliver us. They're saying, if you throw us in, God will deliver us. If you don't throw us in, we're not worshiping your image. They have just spit in the eye of the greatest king on the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar is full of rage, full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated, ever had been heated in other words. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and the other garments and that were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now I'm going to pick up in verse 23 and read from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. It's the Bible of Jesus' day. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 23 down through verse 25, I guess. Then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning furnace and walked in the midst of the flame, get this, singing praise to God and blessing the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises. And he wondered and rose up in haste and said to his nobles, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said to the king, Yes, O king. Verse 25, And the king said, But I see four men loose, loose, and walking in the midst of the fire. And there has no harm happened to them, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Folks, you may not be aware of this, but the, in, the Jews have a whole song that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sang while they were in there. They're not in there saying, oh, God, we don't know if we're going to get cooked or not. They go in singing praise to God because they said as an act of their faith. And remember, these are three guys that had proved it from the time that they were kids. 
what putting the Word of God first in your life does. It's part of the reason why they've been promoted. It's part of the reason why they're in the position they're in now. And they are not backing up for anybody. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. They said, if you throw us in, God will deliver us. In other words, O king, most powerful man on the planet, you can't kill us. That's why he's mad. He's mad because they challenged his authority as king. Now things are changing a bit. I see four people in there. They're, uh, they're loose. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. I'm not sure what that's supposed to look like, but in the midst of a burning fiery furnace, I guess there's some indication. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's make a statue for him. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that they trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Blessed be the God that kept them from obeying what I said to do. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss or against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Now, you would think that after this, Nebuchadnezzar would realize God's able to take care of himself. But no, he goes further. He's trying to appease their God in some way that only he, you know, an idol worshiper would think to do. Anybody that says anything against your God, we'll cut them in half. Kill their families, make sure there's no descendants left. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Folks, the devil will always tell you that putting God first will make you come out last or come behind in life. It's not true. You always come out ahead putting God first. You always come out ahead acting on the word. You always come out ahead standing up for God. 
And what happens is so many people just stand up for God and they haven't proved him yet. They go out like David against Goliath, but they go in, in Saul's armor. Well, how do you prove God? In the little things when nobody's looking. So many times I hear people say, well, it's hard to serve God. No, it's not. Serving God just is a series of making the right choices when the situation arises. It's one right choice after another. That's all it is. Here it says over and over again that the people that put God first, God promotes them. He causes them to prosper. You always win putting God first. Always. May not look like it in the short run, but it sure does in the long run. Finally, the last one is in Daniel chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 1. This is talking about Daniel. We've seen about how the other three worked, how God blessed them, brought them through. Now here's Daniel in the lion's den. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first. In other words, in the king's governmental setup, Daniel is, is his prime minister. The effect of, in effect, his prime minister. He's the chief of the three princes that are over all the 120. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them and that the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, folks, the only record that we have, the only thing that we can identify this excellent spirit of Daniel is the attitude that he had to put the things of God first. It was the same attitude that caused him as a young man, some years, we don't know how many years, but but probably a good number of years before, where he said, we don't want to defile our bodies by eating the king's food. We're willing to eat food that's not as tasty so that we can keep the things of God, keep the law of Moses. That's an excellent spirit when you're willing to put God first no matter what, even when it looks like you come out worse, even when it looks like you're going to lose out on some of the world's pleasure to put the things of God first. That's an excellent spirit. And that's the kind of spirit, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of character that will promote you. That's what God can use to put you ahead. Then this Daniel was preferred above the princes, president, excuse me, and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Notice how the king is operating here. The king's looking for a way to make him in charge of everything. He's not yet, but that's the king's plan. Why? Because of the excellent spirit that was in Daniel. Can I stop here long enough to say that Daniel didn't have half of what you've got? He's a spiritually dead man. You've got the life of God in you. I hope you have the same attitude toward the word that he had. Because a man that's got the life of God with the same attitude of putting the word first and putting God first in every aspect of life cannot be held down. He'll always rise to the top. Joseph's a good example of that. He had a dream of governing and protecting his family. So the devil threw him into slavery. Threw him into a pit first, then wound up, he wound up in the jail as a slave in Egypt. But he wound up running the jail, then wound up running the country. You can't keep down somebody that's got an excellent spirit. And those were spiritually dead men. The stories we've got of the Old Testament, those were spiritually dead men. 
Oh, that our eyes would be open to what we have. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, the only way we're going to turn anything against this guy is to make it illegal to do what he does in worshiping God. So they talked the king into it. They talked Darius into it. Uh, making this decree that for the next 30 days, nobody worships any other God except him. When Daniel heard this, he went into his own house, shut the doors and worshiped God. He's not doing it in the public square. He's not trying to make a, an example or embarrass the king in any way, but he's not letting the, the, the law keep him from doing what he knows is right. Well, these guys are listening in. So they came to the king and said, Daniel... Verse 13, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee or king or the decree that thou hast signed, but makest his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, not with Daniel. He realizes now, here's how these guys tricked me. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these these men assembled under the... Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. See, in those days, rulers had to live by their own laws. (laughs) Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Now here you got the king believing God with Daniel. He's been tricked and forced into a corner to throw him into the lion's den because that's the foolish decree that he made. But he said, God will deliver you, won't he? And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. In other words, he didn't sleep. He stays up all night. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. He's hopeful, but he's not sure. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has shut his angel and has shut the lion's mouths and that they have not hurt me for as much as before him uh, as before as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee O king have I done no hurt then the king was exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God And the king commanded, <laughs> and though brought, they brought those men which had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives and the lions and the, had mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Can't say the lions weren't hungry. Some people have done that, bless their hearts. They've tried to excuse and explain away the things of God. And they said, well, you know, it's not a big deal for a lion. A lion may have eaten a couple of days before and he just wasn't hungry. You know, they don't eat every day. Well, they ate that morning. 
Coincidentally, they ate the evil men and not Daniel. Now, here you've got the same situation, folks. You've got four examples how God does miraculous things to promote and provide and protect those that put him first. Saul said it this, um, Paul said it this way. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he said, since God is for me, who can be against me? I like the way Brother Hagin used to say that. Every time he'd come to that scripture, he'd say, I like to say it this way. Since God is for me, what does it matter who's against me? Since God is for me, what does it matter who's against me? God really meant what he said when he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He really meant it when he said, the words that I speak into you, they are spirit and they're life. The answer is in the word. It's always in the word. And when you put the word first, there is no want to them that fear him. Fearing the Lord is putting him first, putting the word of God first in your life. There is no want. There's no lack. There's no absence of anything, any good thing. To them that fear the Lord. Folks, there's nothing God will withhold from you. Not a thing in the world. But it has to come through the word and it has to come to put someone of the right heart. God will still do miracles for you. I'm convinced that God would rather do miracles for you than any of these miracles we see in the Old Testament. Because those in the Old Testament, the Bible says, were his servants. You're his children. Oh, if we would only get that. I, uh, somebody said here recently, I read, I didn't hear it, but I read, that somebody said, I've never found a Christian that doubted God's love for the sinner. But a lot of those same Christians will doubt God's love for them. If we only knew the great love that God has for us, if our eyes could only be opened to how great his love is and the unlimited power that's available and at our disposal because he does love us so much. God hadn't stopped being in the miracle working business. He's not the God that does miracles. He's the God of miracles. God will still do miracles for you. Whether personally, for your family, whether they're financial, whether they're healing miracles, God will still do the same miracles for you. He'll turn whole nations around if necessary to meet the faith of his children. Wigglesworth used to say God will pass over a million people to get to one person standing in faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be that one person. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man will do unto me. Putting God first will put you over in every situation. You don't have to be afraid of the threats of the enemy because God's word is established forever. Everybody wants God to help them. But too few people find out that the way God helps them is through his word. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Jesus said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. You want to know what a witness looks like? God gives you a definition right here in the Bible. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Have witnesses changed? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.